0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the window. This is Dr. I, and I am with my very esteemed colleague, Dr. Joe. And we are delighted that you tuned in to talk with us to st- today and listen to what we have on our minds. And I am looking out the window of my mind, and I am reflecting on 9 11 seems like a very long time ago and yet we're still talking about conflict among nations and I remember that day clearly I had started working for Fifth Third Bank and I got the news about the World Trade Center and I just packed up my stuff and went and got my kids and went home. How about you, Dr. Joe?
1: Well, first, I really find it hard to believe that it's been 20 years ago, which means my child was a child, too. He was five years old. But it means that there are those, perhaps even those within our listening audience, who don't even remember that day. And so we always try to talk on the window about what our listening audience can do if you feel so inclined. One thing you can do is to be sure that those among you, your your kids, your grandkids, whoever, who weren't alive or who were too young to remember that day, that they understand the implications of that. Um, we we had heroes that day. We had the first responders the police and firefighters who rushed to the scene and unfortunately many of them lost their lives when the towers collapsed. So we had those moment in time heroes who are being commemorated today um, as well as those people who lost their lives in the towers and on the planes. But also it was the the start or perhaps a continuation of a whole web of international conflict that we're not going to go into in, in detail today on the show. But so Certainly there were and still are heroes from those types of, of military actions that you'll hear about if you, if you listen to the news commentary today.
0: And you'll hear from two today, two black men who are reflections of true Americans, and they're going to talk about their before and after experience with the military. Um, Mr. Black, are you on the line? I'm right here, Hi there. How are you today? I am great. How are you? Good, good. I want to introduce to you um, Anthony Black, who is probably familiar to some people in Columbus because he's really a Buckeye. He's a Buckeye that's lost his way and ended <laughs> up in North Carolina doing radio. But before that, he had a very illustrious career um and i'd like for you to just kind of review some of the high points anthony especially the military part if you would
2: why certainly um, actually where you guys are sitting at right now wbko i used to roam them hall from oh, 43 years ago i think you must you be WBKO. old It is. that's actually why i started that <laughs> mm-hmm. so um yeah i really lose my way i just kind of like you know i was stationed here Um, at Fort Bragg, which is the uh, Special Operations Post for the United States Army. Um, I was a uh, U.S. Army Special Forces and um, had a 22-year career in the military. So it it, it was very kind and it did very well for me. Why did you join? Oh, my gosh. uh, 1977.
0: No, Why why did you join? What made you go that Um, direction for a career?
2: You know, that's a really good question, and, and a really good answer is um, I was kind of made for that. You know, I, I knew that once I graduated from high school that uh, I didn't think that I was going to go to college. So at that time, <coughs> excuse me, um, it, it was just kind of cut out for me to go to the military. I, I wanted to, and I needed to serve my country.
0: Well, I'm impressed with that. What high school did you go to?
2: I went to Columbus East
0: Okay, well, we've got some um, East High School graduates in the studio today. Go East! You hear what he yes. said?
2: I'm actually familiar with East High School. My, uh, my better half here is actually an East High School graduate. <laughs> okay, great, great, great.
0: Um, how did you find the military when you joined it? What kind of atmosphere and did you encounter, and how did you adjust?
2: You know, back in 1977, it was really a different era then, um, especially for
1: And not. And and so, if I'm understanding correctly, you were not drafted into the military? Is that correct? I was not. I volunteered. Okay. So, I remember an era before that when my older sister's friends would sit in front of the television, if I recall, one night a year, when their Mm -hmm. birth dates were put into Mm -hmm. a a canister and drawn out to see their, their order of of being enlisted. Do, do you know people who were drafted, and, and was their experience different than yours, perhaps, because of that?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I knew quite a few people that were drafted. I, myself, they actually stopped that in 1976. So I'm what they call a Vietnam heir. Um, if another war had broken out right then, I would have been one of the first recruits to have gone to serve in combat at the time. Um, I had a brother-in-law that was a Vietnam veteran, and um yeah, his experiences were a lot different than mine. And unfortunately, uh, Vietnam was was a war we should have never been in. Um had a lot of lives uh, that were taken during the Vietnam War and if the life wasn't taken by being killed in combat then they were taken by drugs.
1: So did did you serve in any combat zones? No, yeah,
2: I did. I did. Um my very first tour and what we call an action combat was Jonestown in Guyana, the Jim Jones Massacre. Um, I was part of the quarry party that went over there and helped clean up all those bodies in Guyana. I also served in Afghanistan, Iraq. I spent time in Germany as well.
1: First, just tell us what that was like. We hear about, of course, Afghanistan in today's news. We hear about Iraq. What was it like to actually be there in uniform?
2: Um, it's a very different, uh, a different world over there, actually. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be, uh, at that point, I had gained rank. And, you know, I was uh, more of a supervisor than I was a soldier. So I kind of was able to call my own shots during that time. Um, very puzzling for the most part because at first, like, they did not want us there. Again, like Vietnam, it was a war that we had no business even being in. But um, they didn't want us there at first. But then, once the you know the, the U.S. Army or U.S. military, Marine, you Navy, know, Air Force, once we got in there um, and, and and they realized how we were able to help them, then it was more accepting
0: for the soldiers there. Anthony, that's very different from growing up in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, absolutely. How how did you manage that adjustment? It's it's like going from um, a a um, feather bed to on the ground sleeping. How did you yeah. manage that?
2: Yeah, it was kind of like going from the sandbox into the frying pan. Um, you know, again, I think maybe my, my type of personality that I am, uh, I'm an alpha male. So, I mean, I was kind of always a, a, uh, taking on anything that I need to take on type person. Uh, I adjusted quickly, you know, like I said, uh, being treated from the private PFC on up, you know, you're, you're just nobody actually. You know, you get treated like, <laughs> like you couldn't imagine. Um, once you start gaining rank and the tables start to turn a little bit, you realize what it's like to to be in the position of the people that were mean to you. You know, it, it is a big difference. It really is.
1: And so you were in the military how many years? 22 years. Okay, so obviously you made the decision not only to join but to stay in the military. What was behind that decision?
2: I did. Um, like I said, uh, um, by the time I had two years in, and my first enlistment, I had already became an E-5, which at that time is the Buck Sergeant. These call them troop pushers because that's the first level of sergeants. Um, I, I actually gained rank rather quickly, as well as I was a paratrooper in, in Special Forces. So, you know, anytime that you have those extra little curricular things, like, you know, wearing wings on your chest or or having an airborne patch, um, you kind of looked at differently. Yeah, you know I mean, we were we were kind of the elite of the military.
1: And so, w- looking back, what what were the pros and cons of your military career?
2: You no, know, honestly, I guess the the pros were is I had a really really good career at it, and I was good at what I did. And the cons were um, being away from my family. You know you. You never know where you're going to be at. You're, you're. It's a get up and go at, at a moment's notice. We actually used to have these things called go bags. They were already packed. You know, once we went on a lurch or it was time for that call to come, we just had to grab the bag and go. You never knew where you were going, and sometimes you never knew if you were
0: coming back or not. What about racism? Uh, you know, racism is...
2: And i got to be honest, um, different places that I was stationed at, um, maybe I was stationed in North Carolina and Georgia and Texas and Colorado Um, as a soldier. It was a lot of respect, you know, as long as I was in uniform. Now, out of uniform and civilian clothes, it was a little different, especially in Georgia. Of course, you know, in in the early or late 70s in Georgia, it was still Georgia, you know. It's never changed as far as I'm concerned. Um, North Carolina was a lot more accepting because Fort Bragg is such a large post that there are so many different races at that post and a lot of blacks um, going overseas, like Germany, for example. You know, Germans are Germans. You know, you got to look at for what it really is. You know, um, it's a little different. Like I said, as long as you're in uniform, it's a little more accepting. But when you're in civilian clothes and you're going out into the economy as a as a soldier in civilian clothes, you, you, you see the, the racism there a little bit. You know, Germany's not the most accepting place for a black man to be.
0: And you went into the service as a teenager.
2: I did. I was 18 years old when I signed up.
0: And no reflection of, hey, I made a, I made a bad decision. I want to go home. No, not
2: at all. Well, no, let me, let me correct that. My very first night, <laughs> you know, after going through all the hiring and being stuffed and, and grabbing bags and rust, rust, rust and then sitting on the top of my bus and I, and I kind of made the decision to that point that you know, what did I do? Why am I here? But, you know, within the first couple of weeks I kind of realized that it wasn't going to be as bad as I thought it was going to be.
0: Did that run in your family? Are you from a military family?
2: I am not. I'm actually from a law enforcement family. My dad was a cop. My brother was a cop. Uh, I have a a half brother that was the uh, the superintendent of Washington, D.C. Cops. Um, so law enforcement kind of ran in my family, and I kind of knew coming out of high school that maybe that wasn't the best decision for me because like I said, I, I was a bit of a alpha male, so uh, a police officer may not have been the best choice for me. So um, no, I was actually the, one of the first to uh, go into the military, with the exception of, now well, I gotta mention this, we were talking about this before, I have an uncle, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Gene Cheatham, that was actually one of the uh, Tuskegee Airmen. He was one of the Red Tails. Mm.
0: You should be so proud of that.
2: I am very proud of him.
0: Is he still living?
2: He's not. Yeah, okay. he he's uh, probably, I don't know, within the last 10 years, I think. He, he, yeah, he would have been, what, at this point, I'm in my 60s, so he probably would have been in his 90s.
0: <laughs> I think there's still a few of them left, though.
2: There are, yeah. Mm. There are, yeah.
1: So as a veteran now, you, you mentioned earlier that there are, unfortunately, veterans who are suffering from, from drug addiction and other issues without getting too personal at all. Yeah. Did you experience any after-effects of your service, post-traumatic stress disorder, any after-effects of concern? I
2: did. I did, and actually right now um, I am under VA care. I have been for the last 20 years, um, and I do have PTSD. I mean, it's a whole different world when, when you're playing a video game and you're able to shoot at somebody that's not shooting back at you. Um, it's very different when, when somebody's actually shooting at you and
1: wants to kill you. Mm-hmm. And, and so thank goodness you're getting care. How do you feel that our country has treated our veterans?
2: Um, it can be treated better. they really could. Our VA system is not the best. And like I said, I've been in the system probably 20 years or better. Um, I am being taken care of well, because I have what they call the Montgomery Bill, GI Bill. So I have a lot of services that a lot of the, the new veterans do not have. Um, unfortunately for them, you know, they when I went in we were actually still uh, doing the infiltration training, you know, hand-to-hand combat and all that kind of stuff. The new soldiers and sailors and, and Marines, they are not combat trained and they send those kids over to combat without the, the you know, the adequate training.
1: And, and why is that? Is it due to lack of funding, lack of care? What's causing this?
2: Uh, you know, it's really more lack of time because um, as I went through a boot camp alone, mine was 14 weeks. I believe it's like eight weeks now, you know, so they don't have the time to try. They're, they're like, they're, they're pushing them through really quick, you know, to get them out there.
0: Was ending the draft a good idea?
2: Um, you know, probably not, because we have a lot of our young people out there in the streets today who need to have been in the military, who needed that structure, who, who needed that discipline type, um, and I think a whole lot of them out there in the streets right now
1: I probably should go through that. So we've talked on this show before with other guests about post-high school opportunities that, that perhaps college isn't the best for everyone. We're going to take a few minutes now and talk to you before the break, and we might have to continue this conversation after the break. But if sure. there's someone listening who's, who has a young person in their lives who's considering career opportunities, if you will, or life opportunities, is the military a good option?
2: You know, I would say make that choice with a very, very good head behind it. Um, I have a grandson that actually uh, followed my career. He went to the military went to the Army. And um, I-, I talked with him for, for hours and hours and days before he actually made that step um, of what he was going to do when he went to the military. That is your choice. You do have a choice of MOSs when you take the test. You know, you're, you're scored on different areas of where you may be the highest scoring in, and then that's kind of where you choose to, uh, you know, go into your MOS at that time, which is the job that you will do if, you know, while you're in the military. Um, mine was very high in communications, surprisingly so. So um, I was actually a multi channel radio communication operator during my first MOS, and my second was a combat medic. So, you know, you really have to choose your career carefully, in choosing to go to the military because again everybody's not cut out for you know boots on the ground soldiers we need firemen we need office people we need finance people we know there's jag lawyers so there's a wide variety of jobs and i, I tell people all the time any job that is in civilian life that one job we going to anthony before the break
0: why the Army? Why not the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines?
2: Um, you know, the the Army kind of um, I guess caught my eye because to me um, it was a bigger, larger force at the time. Now U.S. Army is, Fort is, uh, so right Bragg alone has 80,000 paratroopers. Um, I kind of wanted to, to be a paratrooper and I've always seen, you know, the Green Berets and the Army Rangers as, you know, the elite soldiers. So that kind of achievement, achievement, and wanted to do that. Navy now nah, not big on a uh, lot of water and don't want to be on a boat forever. Um, Air Force feels a little different. If if that would have been a second choice, probably, and the Marines probably kind of um, ran neck and neck with the army. So I just happened to uh, the army recruited me first. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, these are very mature decisions that have to be made with kids.
1: And, right. 18. I, and yeah. I
0: don't, I know I wouldn't probably have made a good decision at 17 about what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So yeah. you must have been very uh, mature. We're going to take a quick break, Anthony, and we're going to come back and we'd like for you to reflect upon the army today and the role of the black man. Sure, absolutely. All right. In a few minutes. One minute. Okay. black a, a celebrated decorated veteran from right here in columbus ohio anthony as yes. you look at the military now in 2021 given that this is 9 11 and i'm sure it's a memorable day for you it is um well first of all what were you doing that day
2: i was actually sitting in my living room um and uh, watching the news so i uh, literally watched the planes crash into the buildings
0: so you had already left the military
2: yes i had i had been out probably oh gosh i got in 90 in the late uh 90s there 22 years so um yeah this is probably five six years prior to 9-11
0: how did you respond to that
2: oh it was horrible it was horrible um uh, you know, like everybody else, I, I thought it was a private plane, or maybe something else had happened. You know, until we started getting details about what exactly had happened and who was involved in it, then it kind of changed a little at that point. So, you know, I knew that uh, you know, terrorism, uh, the U.S. has never been really been hit by terrorism like that, and I hope never will be again. So, and and now
0: 2021, a lot of changes have occurred in the military and in the United States and in international relations. How are black men rated or ranked or treated in the military now? I used to look up to Colin Powell when he would stand up on TV and talk about the world and his position and, and I don't hear anything anymore from an African American person or viewpoint, or anything. Where is the black man in the military?
2: You know, I, I have to right now, and only because I'm not part of it actively. Um, I would actually say I, I would hope and think that they're uh, in, a, in a pretty decent position right now. We need leaders, and a black man is a leader. Um, I, I just recently, like just this past week, lost a friend of mine who was a command sergeant major. And um, he, he did very well in the military. Command Sergeant Major is the highest rank of an NCO that you can get in the, in the Army. So, um, you know, the, the soldiers nowadays, I think their, their training is less, but their equipment is better than what I had. So.
1: And so when you, were, um, when you were active, were there many women?
2: You know, that is a wonderful question. Um, when, when I was in, there were women, but not in the area that I was in. You know, being a paratrooper in Special Forces, um, there were not. You know, there were like one or two that I remember really well. But if, uh, if I'm not wrong, I think just within the last 10 years, there have been uh, two female Army Rangers that have graduated, which we would have never seen 20 years ago. Why...
0: Aren't there more minorities and women in the ranks in the military?
2: Um, you know, I, I think only, let me, let me uh, reflect on the woman part first. I think that their MOSs, their job titles, are different than males, like right? maybe an infantry or weapons specialty or, again, paratroopers, special forces. So because they don't have, or they do now, didn't have that opportunity to, uh, to go into those MOSs before is the reason why there were such a lack of, of, uh, of black and women you know, in, in those type of MOSs. There are now. It's, it's a it's a wide variety of, of uh, nationalities now. Um, surprisingly so, when I went through, like in jump school, I was probably, out of a class of 30, I was probably only three uh, of the black people that were in there at the time. We had a few Latinos, but there were
1: predominantly white. And and we should acknowledge that as part of the the Biden cabinet, we do have, excuse me, General Lloyd Austin, who's a retired Army four-star general. He's the Secretary of Defense now. Great
0: man. Um, Anthony, as we kind of wrap up our discussion with you, um, would you uh, recommend going to the service to your grandchildren?
2: Um, absolutely. Like I said, I, I've actually had a grandson that served four years um, already in the Army, and he just recently got out. Um, so, yes, I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, again, you've got to be very careful in the jobs that you want to go into into the military. It could put you in harm's way or not. So it really depends on, on where you're focusing your attention on um, what you want to do in the military.
0: Well, we um, appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. Um, Is there any other observation that perhaps a a person that's not familiar with the military might get confused when looking at black people in the military? Anything Um, else? Yeah, I I would really like to say this. um, When these soldiers, Marines, sailors... The airmen
2: come home, please, please accept them for what they have gone through. You know, it's something that none of us have, would have never had to experience. Uh, Coming home from the mercenary is is a hard thing. You know, you're you're trying to go back into civilian life and, you know, things have changed. I mean, you were used to doing things a different way in the military. And then you come back home and, and you get treated totally different. Um. My recommendation is absolutely go into the VA system, make sure that you're going to be taken care of. You know, if you have a disability, make sure that you pursue that as well. Those are the only things that you're going to be taken care of once you leave the military.
1: Well, thank you for your service. Hopefully you've heard that a lot. But if you didn't hear it from anyone else, you heard it here from us today. We truly appreciate all you've done, not only what you did for our country, but what you did for paving the way for others. And so we wish you all the best in your, in your career now as a veteran and presumably a retiree.
0: And, Anthony, you are on a very tall pedestal um, in terms of bravery and courage and being able to handle isolation and, and all of those characteristics that keep people from stepping up to leadership so we really do appreciate you
2: all right thank you so much
0: all right well enjoy the rest of your day and when you get to the buckeye state don't forget to holler
2: i sure will all thank right you for
0: me. take care mm-hmm. we have another esteemed veteran on the line mr radcliffe are you there Yes, I am. How are you? I'm good, Roger. How are you? Iris, it's so good to hear your voice. Oh, my gosh. This is my classmate from Fisk University. And I remember you were in ROTC there, I believe. No, I wasn't. Um, I was not in the ROTC.
3: But uh, involved in everything else on campus, the radio station and the dean's office and in the choir and... um, that was uh, our freshman year at Fisk.
0: Well, that was the only one thing that you weren't in, I think.
3: Yeah, I had no, I had no um, idea or aspirations to join the military at that time.
1: Uh, this is, this is Iris' co-host. My name is Joanna. so glad to have you today. Since our purpose today is to inform and educate our listeners, could I back up in your conversation just a moment for people who might not know what ROTC is?
3: Uh, that's the Reserve Officers Training Corps. It's uh, generally situated situated in colleges and universities around the country. And in the high school level, it's uh, known as JROTC, the Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps. And what it does, it uh, prepares young people in high school to continue their military training and education into college and in into college. Once they complete the uh, ROTC program, they are commissioned a second lieutenant in the uh, military, in the army, either in the navy or in the army. So, in the navy would be the naval ROTC. You just you know put an N in front of the uh, in front of the acronym. But it prepares young people uh, early on at the high school level. They go to basic training, two weeks training. Uh, they go drill with a reserve unit or a guard unit for two weeks. And then upon uh, completion of that, during their college days, they actually go through actual military basic training, wherever it may be.
1: So with our previous guest today, we talked about the possibility of a, of the military as being a post-high school choice, going straight from high school into the military, but you obviously have mapped out another path for people who may want to go to college and have the benefit of college training as well as preparing for a military career.
0: So how, how did you navigate your career in the military, Roger? I think that it's kind of interesting, what you did with your life. Well, after
3: I um, graduated high school, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and um, like Ira said, we were classmates uh, at Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. And my aspirations at that time were to go to law school. And, of course, my path changed. And uh, after graduation, I um, worked in radio and television in Nashville. And after that, back in those days, you could leave a job on Friday and have a totally new job on Monday with the weekend off. That's that's how prevalent work was back then. There was no... um, Waiting, interviewing, if you had somewhere to go, you went. So after I worked at uh, radio and television in Nashville, I got bored, and I got bored to the point where I love to travel, so I said, well, what better way to travel than to go into the military? You, they send you everywhere they want you to go, and you go overseas or wherever, so from Nashville, Tennessee... I went to the recruiting office and I knew I wanted to um, be an officer, but it wasn't offered to me at that time. And Back, back then, in the mid-70s, recruiters did not have the, the greatest, um, the greatest um, way of telling you the truth. So they told me, I was a college graduate, that I had to become enlisted before I wanted to go do anything else in the Army. So I'm like, okay, not a problem. I went into the Army as an enlisted person. Uh, being a college graduate, I had the rank of E3, which is private first class, walking in the door. So that put me ahead of, ahead of uh, my peers at that time. So within two years, I uh, made E5, like the previous um, interviewees. I made E5 in, in two years, and uh, which is a bus sergeant, once again, the lowest form of NCS. She worked with the soldiers and the troops. So at the end of my uh, enlistment, I, I decided I wasn't to stay in the Army. And so once uh, I left Germany, I came back to Detroit. And immediately after getting back in Detroit, I went straight to the recruiting office and re enlisted for Officer Candidate School, which is known as OCS. So, I received my um, opportunity to get back in the Army within five months, and I went back and uh, went to Fort Benning, went through OCS training, and got branched back into my original job as a military policeman. So, it, it went just in the way I wanted it to, and usually in the military, it's not as you plan, it's what, what they give you, but I'm fortunate, my um, my uh, opportunities... What was the situation in Germany? Um, the, as a young man in Germany, um, it was once again in the mid seventies, um, end of the seventies, and and the United States forces were were prevalent. They were at the height of of well, we were basically still in the Cold War, and there were almost five hundred thousand troops, uh, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines stationed throughout Europe, and uh, the climate was like it is now. Well, as far as terrorism, there was a different type of terrorism at the time. There were the, uh, the German terrorists, the, the Italian terrorists, that was our main, main concern after, of course, we were there to um, prevent the Soviet Union from invading Germany. We were part of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So we were there to show support for the um, European nations. And um, at that time, it, it was it was um, interesting. It was a job. I got to travel. I get to go places. But still, you know, our initial job was to protect American interests and protect the European Union.
1: Did you see combat?
3: I I did see combat in in Desert Storm. Uh, I went back after I got out of the military in 1990. I'm sorry, 1989. I I was called back as a captain in the military police as a uh, prisoner of war commander. So when I went back, I went with a reserve unit out of my hometown, and we were based in the desert between kuwait and iraq and as such we received i received over 2500 iraqi prisoners from uh, saddam hussein's uh republican guard and that was uh six months over there in the middle of iraq and kuwait and the oil well fires the um the uh bombers going in there we can hear the uh Artillery fire, uh, a scud missile was shot down right over our camp. It hit a town five miles away. It was, uh, it wasn't, people say, well, you know, I really want go to go to combat and go to war. But, you know, once you get over there and you're exposed to it, you know, you, you really get to see what you're made of. And me, at the time, I was a captain. I commanded a uh, a prisoner of war enclosure of about uh, maybe 70 70 other MPs, as opposed to when I was a company commander in Germany. I commanded an MP company in Germany and also was the director of security for the largest ammunition storage site in Germany. So that was during the peacetime army. But once you get over to a combat zone, literally, (laughs) you hear when people say you're your life passes in front of you, you really take, take into account what you did in life, how you got to where you were, your training, and, and then it just becomes second nature. You know, you, you lead people. So I, I didn't have any discipline problems going into the Army, but it just gave me more of an opportunity to lead our young people and to make sure they got home safely.
0: And you never had that moment when you wanted to just say, "I'm out of here."
3: Uh, you think it, but you know, in deep down in your heart, you're not going to go anywhere. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. When you're when when you hear bombs going off and um, planes going over, and you, our position was we were literally 50 miles from Iraq and uh, Kuwait. And had the Iraqis decided to invade Saudi Arabia, we were right in their path. So there were many times I wished I had an American Express card, so I could, you know, just go somewhere and get a plane. But no, you know, you realize what you're here for, and, you know, you take an oath, and that's a serious oath. You raise your hand in front of the American flag that, you know, you're not going to see your country or your
0: your, um, soldiers. We're going to have to take a quick break, um, Roger, and we're going to come back and talk about the current military and your observation about where we are in history on the window.
1: Historic day that those of us who remember would prefer not to have to remember. We're talking to human beings who served in combat, and I stress human beings because these are real people that we're sending out to battlefields. And so, Roger, you just went into detail that had your college buddy, Dr. I, and I looking at each other, just shaking our heads about what you were brave enough to go through after the fact how are you affected by that in positive ways and we hear of our veterans being affected in negative ways
3: well that's um that's still a current uh issue i'm dealing with today because the um the issue of ptsd is real some of the things that um, i've seen some of the things i've experienced physically and mentally were not addressed at the time and only because there was such a, um, for lack of a better term, a, um, uh, a mill, you know, they were putting us in situations that really weren't really thought out. Say, for instance, the the, the thought of being gassed, uh, we were told, and of course it was public knowledge, that Saddam Hussein would use anthrax Against any invader in Iraq, so we're all tr- we're all trained in nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. We're given different protection measures, but anthrax was one uh, an exposure that we were not vaccinated for. So much like the um, COVID vaccine, there was a vaccine vaccination that was rushed to get out to the field, to give to the American soldiers and sailors who would be in that theater of operation. Of course, you know, having not been, the vaccine had not been tested or approved by the FDA, a lot of uh, my cohorts and compatriots refused to take the vaccination, but we were ordered to take the vaccination regardless. So as a reservist at the time, we took the vaccination not knowing how it would affect us down the road. Now, not saying that it's the cause of so many um, maladies and, and, and conditions that uh, many of my fellow veterans in my unit have suffered, and it's maybe because of the exposures in the desert. We were exposed to the oil smoke. They burned the uh, oil wells literally 50 miles from where we were, and you could see the sky would be black, and it would be filled with black smoke. They would burn, uh, they're called burn pits, where uh, human waste and would be mixed with oil and gasoline. And that's how we got rid of human waste in the desert. You mix this um, waste with 50% gasoline, or MoGas, which we called it, and diesel. And one person or two people would sit there and, and literally set it on fire it burn it and it would burn down but it would emit smoke that and the uh, burning of um, depleted uranium round we used the uh, munitions that when when they would hit their target the, the munitions were actually depleted uranium when it would hit it would burn so we're talking all these chemicals in the atmosphere oil human waste and depleted uranium all in the atmosphere where we are literally living. I was there for six months. So, fast forward, there were a few men in my unit who, who are suffering from different physical ailments and, you know, we're part of studies, you know, we go through these um, examinations and you know, I'm going through a few right now trying to pinpoint why these different physical ailments are, you know, affecting our bodies. it's gonna have to take the uh, government to admit, yes, we were exposed to toxic toxic waste, much like the uh, veterans of Vietnam were exposed to Agent Orange. And you know how long it took for the government to admit to that. So, you know, we're just prayerful. Me personally, I'm just prayerful that that, um, my fellow veterans, you know, get the help that they need and we need.
0: How are you reflecting on 9-11, Roger?
3: Well, you know, every year I think about it, 9-11 for me was, was, a, was for everyone else, was a terrible day. I recall vividly where I was. I was. I was a state trooper here in Michigan. I was in court that day. And I had worked the midnight shift, and I had to be in court at 8 o'clock. And as I'm sitting there, I'm in the... Uh, the break room where officers and court officers sit, and I'm watching the television, and I see all this uh, unfold in front of me, and I immediately reverted back to my military training, and you have to let someone know what you see. So I immediately went to a courtroom I was to appear in, and I went to the judge's door behind her bench, and I said, Your Honor, there's something going on right now. You need to see this. So she called a recess and she went to her chambers and we stood there and watched it. And as we were watching it, the alarms went off in the uh, court courthouse downtown Detroit. And the announcement came to evacuate the building immediately. And you have to understand at that point, we didn't know the extent of, of what was happening other than there were buildings being attacked and, um, I was like I said, I was a state trooper at the time and I was in uniform and across our radios was to return to the post immediately in downtown Detroit. It was maybe a five minute drive. And when we got to the post, the governor of Michigan had already put out an order locking down all state buildings and mobilizing the state police. So that's why I spent at least four hours until we were released, but to stay on standby. So, it was, it was vivid and uh, also very, very troubling. And having been in the military, the first thing I wanted to do was to get back at whoever did it. But, you know, of course, I couldn't do that. So I just did my, did my job there in the state of Michigan and did what we normally did, protected state property and responded to wherever the governor would send us.
1: So with everything you've just recounted to us and with everything that you're feeling that we couldn't even begin to experience, if you had it to do over again, would you have made the choice to enter the military?
3: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. If if my career path had not gone the way it did, if I had gone to law school, of course it would have been different. But taking law school out of the equation and during those days, and we're talking uh, forty years ago for me coming out of college, fifty years. Sorry, Iris, I didn't mean to date yeah, you. Yeah, you
0: told everybody but how old I was, Roger. I, but you, you were much younger this. when you came that's to this. Right, you that's were like
3: right. you were like you were like twelve years I old. Yes, I was. You're
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know,
3: like I said back then there there was there was not this nationalist um attitude that we see now in the military. Oh. You know What's going on now we didn't experience forty years ago. We didn't have to worry about the guy next to you or what there was no political the politicization of the military like it is now. Now we're finding out there active duty members and, and veterans who are part of this nationalistic organization or thinking where there's a we and a they. There may have been that Situation back then, but it wasn't as prevalent and it wasn't as obvious. It wasn't as overboard to where you really literally had to think about the guy next to you. Is he going to use the training he had against me in the future? It wasn't there. But to answer your initial question, I would not have changed my path at all.
0: What about your children? Would you advise them to go into the military now?
3: Your grandchildren, um, my grandchildren, well, they're, they're so young, six or and 11 months. I just hope we have a country to grow up in. I'm, I'm serious. I would not want them to go into the military. I would want them to, to be the best people they could be and work in their community because the military right now, I think personally, in my opinion, has been misused over the last, you know, decade or so. Did you say misused? Misused. You know, we can't be the world's policemen anymore. You know, there, there used to be legitimate conflicts to where there was an a beginning and an end. But now the military, in my opinion, is being used as a political arm. And as you can see by current events, there there's just so much so much disinformation, misinformation and agendas being being put forth and using the military as an extended arm of that.
0: And so are you implying that this situation with Afghanistan never should have happened?
3: It never should have happened. We went in, we did what we were supposed to do. We got Bin Laden and it should have wound down then. In, in what, what was it, 10 years from uh, President Bush to President Obama? Yeah, a little over 10 years. Okay, we got who we went after. We should have cleared the country. Those people have been fighting for thousands of years. Superpowers have gone in and could not do what we were trying to do. We cannot change a culture who systematically and, and historically have been fighting all the tribes, all the different um, families and I mean it's it's to me and I was a political science major and I've sorta of studied this and understand that you can't change a person or their their culture through imparting our way of, of living through democracy, everyone can't be a democracy. everyone can't. and to try to do that, Russia was not a democracy. they were an autocracy proletarian they lost everyone else lost who've gone into Afghanistan, and they're right back where they began
0: And so Biden had to do what he had to do.
3: He Yes, he had to do what he had to do i mean i would have I would have had a little bit more organization because that's one of the tenets of a of an army officer you You organize, you have a plan, you have an exit strategy, and regardless of what was on the um the table before he took office, I think that that exit strategy could have been done a little bit better. And the intelligence should have been a lot better you know we have supposedly the best intelligence agencies in the world but we've dropped the ball several times and it just shows we have a lot of work to do but yes the um, we should have come out of Afghanistan and I think it was a little bit too late a little bit too quickly
1: Roger we are all speculating here today on the past and the in the future and even the present Um, but just a question for you and for our audience to reflect on one of the horrors of course of, of nine eleven twenty years ago was to know that we were being attacked on American soil. Could that happen again?
3: Yes, yes, I believe it could happen again. We have to be We have to be prepared, we have to be prepared, and we have to be prepared. Look at what happened in washington d c on January the sixth. Mm-hmm look what happened in afghanistan with everyone who was left that country they they weren't vetted to my in my opinion you know there there could be people who want to harm us in our own country so yes it can happen again this is this is the new normal
1: So with with all the reflecting that we've done today on this topic of the military and the politics surrounding it and the horror surrounding it and the the growth surrounding it, what Dr. I and I don't want people to forget is that there are human beings behind that. And so and black people. Right. And so, Roger, thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for sharing your time today. Thank you for, for being a role model. Thank you for doing your part. We truly appreciate what you've done.
3: It was a pleasure to be asked, and um, thank you for
0: inviting me. Thank you, Roger, and I hope we stay in touch.
1: And I hope yes, that all of our listeners we are talking about conflict, of course, on a major level, but there's so much dissension around each one of us every day. So maybe one way to remember the heroes of 9-11 and the heroes of all of our conflict is for each one of us to do our part just in our own lives in our own communities to try to minimize the conflict. Absolutely. And we are Americans. We salute the
0: flag and we've got many, many black men who have died for this democracy and women and women and women. So we have something to be proud of. And we're certainly proud of Anthony and of Roger. So until next week, enjoy your weekend and we will talk with you next Saturday on the window. Have a good weekend.